Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Come back all fired up. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? Is God good? Amen. Brother East, come and take your liberty. God bless you, my friend. God bless all of you. You may be seated. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here and to see you, all of you. It's a great day, Father's Day. You know, Father's Day was only began to be a holiday and be recognized in the United States 41 years ago, 42 years ago. They, uh, they didn't recognize the fathers. In fact, when they first instituted Father's Day in 1910, it was short-lived because there was this element that wanted to do away with Mother's Day. They'd already started honoring mothers. For those of you that don't know, Mother's Day is a Civil War thing. Mothers from the North and mothers from the South bound together praying for their sons and and relatives that were involved in the war of their husbands. And so that was how Mother's Day actually started. And then fathers never got much recognition. You know, we're always taken for granted. <clears throat> and uh, my wife is here today. I hope you caught that part of the message. And so as time went by, they, we had this element. We, and and it's amazing, you know, this element never goes away. It always seems to stay with us. And this group got together and said, let's don't celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day having two different days to honor all these people. Let's just combine the two and have a parent's day. That's good. We don't want to recognize them individually. We don't want to give honor to whom honor is due to our mothers and our fathers. And I'm going to tell you, mothers and fathers are very important. And there's no one here that can disagree with that because if it weren't for mothers and fathers, you wouldn't be here. And we should give honor to our mothers and honor to our fathers. Do you know, that's the only scripture in all of the word of God that has a promise with it. One of the 10 commandments was to honor your father and your mother. It didn't say that they had to be worthy of your honor. It didn't say that they had to be, reach certain criteria or protocol before you could give honor to them. You don't, you're, not a, you're not afforded that option. You have to honor your father and mother if they're scoundrels. If you believe in the Bible, if you don't, well then you can worship a mother moose. Who, who cares? But if you believe in the Bible... You have to honor fathers and mothers. And it's the only one of those commandments that had a promise attached to it. There was no promise attached to thou shalt not kill. But there is one attached to honoring the fathers and the mothers. And that is simply this. Your days upon the earth will be long. So if you want to live a good long life, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And honor your father and your mother. And if you don't, You might not get old, might not get a chance. So that's just a a, a brief history of of what today is about. We're we're giving honor to fathers today, and rightfully so. I I don't 
I, I've been in preaching here for uh, Abundant Life, and the Kileys, of course, are very dear friends of ours. Of all the people in Wisconsin, the Kileys have come to see me in Texas more than anybody else. And uh, I know it's not for, for money or food because we rarely have anything. He usually has to bring his own food. And, but I, I, I've, always, I've always enjoyed coming here. I've always thought that your music was exceptional. I still do. It's funny, we pulled in here this morning. I told my wife, she said, because we were five minutes late. And that was my fault. I, I had everything, all my ducks in a row. And uh, I got a call and, and the call just tore me up. I was crying. Wasn't a bad call. It was a good call, but it had me in tears. I got caught in the call and forgot the time and wound up being five minutes late. We pulled in. My wife said, well, at least they'll still be singing. And I said, yeah, because we, we take, you know, we know that we always sing at the beginning. But normally, by the time most churches get done with their singing, I've got road rage because I, I don't, I, I'm being very transparent here. I don't like singing a chorus 105 times. And so it, by, by the time we get sometimes, I, you know, I'm doing this on the front row and, and, and I know I'm getting road rage. And I, I counted one night here, this was last year, I counted in another church and said, I haven't been here since this happened. And they sang one verse 106 times. I counted it. 106 times. You know, I'm thinking, come on, man, after 50 times, if they're not getting it, move on. Move on. I mean, you know, I, I know I'm a friend of God, but after 50 times, you don't, don't say it no more. By the time you get me through with 106 times, I'm an enemy of God. I'm ready to run. But I always liked Abundant Life because your music was always good. And it was, it's one of the, this is probably, this is being taped, isn't it? Are you streaming? I won't even have a home to go to. I'll walk in the home church and they'll assassinate me. But I, 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 I liked, I always liked singing that, that was fitting and, and that we didn't wear it out. And, and I, I really mean this. And as long as I've been coming here, so when she said that this morning, I said, yes, they will. And I said, you know, before I could even say it, she said, and this is one of the few places where you really like the singing, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. So I thank you, all you musicians, singers. I thank you for your, your because you sing, you're anointed. You, you mean what you're doing. It's not a job. You actually put your hearts in it. And, and I am impressed. So if that's worth anything to you, it's, I like it. So I never title sermons. I, I, I just don't do that. And, and I, I never... I normally don't even, I, I don't use notes because I rarely stay up on the platform so I'd have to carry them around on something in front of me. A little kid asked me just the other day. He said, Brother East, you preached about tradition this morning because I talked about tradition and I said, you know, most everything we do, we got from somebody else. We're not very original just so you, you know, you, you didn't know that. Even the pulpit, I said, is a tradition. That, that, that we use pulpits because they're traditional. We got it from the Catholic Church. Let's, let's be realistic here. And so I said that in this, while I was preaching, and afterwards this little boy comes up to me and he says, Brother East, he said, you said the pulpit's a tradition. I said, it is. He said, well, since you hate tradition, is that why you won't stay up there while you're preaching? <laughs> so the kids are watching me too. But I never cared, I never wanted, and people would ask me, I was in Tucson, Arizona a while back, and uh, 
the lady come up. She said, Brother Easter, are you going to give us a title or should we just create one? Because I've preached there for him before. And I said, yeah, just call it anything. I don't care. You know, and I really don't because it's not important. I, I want to say the right thing. And, and as bad as I am, I may venture off on a rabbit trail and never come back to what I was saying in the beginning. And, and I, I just have to start afresh. But I really felt that, that I had a question for today, for this day in particular. And it's, it's a very serious question. And, and I know that, that at times I'm entertaining. I, I know that. So you're not going to hurt my feelings by saying, you know, I can't remember what he preached, but my God, he's entertaining. And he, you know, did you, did you hear the joke he told this morning? Did you hear the scripture he read? I don't know what scripture he read, but I heard the joke. I'm telling that tomorrow at work. You know, so I remember for a, a, a wide range of things. But this question came to me and, and I wrote it down. Where have all the fathers gone? made me emotional where have all the fathers gone you know who built the united states of america your fathers they built this country we 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 drink from wells we didn't dig we drive on streets and roads we didn't pave we enjoy a lot of amenities that we had nothing to do with but somebody Paid the price to have all the things that you've got. You say, yeah, but I went to school. So who provided the school? Well, I worked hard. I got a job. Who provided the job? And when it's all said and done, who provided you with the energy? Who provided you with your sight? Who gave you your hearing? Who gave your your intellectualism that you could even pursue a career? It was the mercy of God And it was the hands of great men that listened to the voice of God that set together a path that you could follow. They laid some tracks that you could put your feet in and follow them. And I have to ask myself today, 2014, where have all the fathers gone? And and I, I, I looked at the first father. The first father in the history of the world was Adam. And yet, Adam's not really a very good example. Although he was the first father. He, he did bear, he and his wife Eve, he did, they did bear uh, Cain and Abel and then Seth. and other, You know, they did do that. But before all of this came about, their track record was not really good. It, it wasn't a real good track record. I mean, they're in the most beautiful place that, the, that man could ever imagine. I hadn't seen it, near hadn't heard about it. Neither has it entered into the heart of men what God has prepared for them that love him. But what God prepared for those early two people, we've never seen anything like that. We've never experienced it. We can't because it was perfect. There was no sickness there. There was no death there. They didn't have to worry about food. They had nothing with which to worry about. There was no stress And if I looked around today, I would tell you very and unequivocally, there is nothing in this building right now any greater than the old bad spirit of stress. 
It's from one side to the other. That's why all these people were down here a little while ago. They've got stress in their lives. And those of you that didn't come are having the same stress. We're stressed out. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I've got to where I don't even like that term. I'm so stressed out. My job is making me stressed. Oh, there's so much going on at the church. I'm stressed out. Oh, I just don't know what we're going to do about paying our bills. I'm so stressed out. We don't have enough money. I had a lady call me yesterday. She said, Pastor E, she said, we had to pay our bills this morning on a credit card. And the stress is just, it's causing her not to, not to act right. It's causing her to gain weight. It, stress has so much effect on you. And yet we, when the devil opens the gate where stress is, we seem to just walk right in and we're following a trail, picking, whew, boy, I'm about to go here and get, I'm gonna get into this in a minute. We're just going along and the devil's dropping little carrots and tidbits along the way and we're picking them up, following him, walking right into his trap because everything he's given us is gonna lead us to, to be stressful. We think we're being blessed. Can I tell you that a lot of the blessing that you think is really blessing is stressing. It's not a blessing at all. When you get a blessing from God, it gives you peace that passes all understanding, regardless of how big or how small it is. When you get a blessing from God, you want to share it with somebody. But when you get stress from the devil, it's not from God. When you get stress from the devil, you don't want to share it with nobody. You want to beat somebody up. You want to be in a bad mood. You want to be depressed. You don't want to go to church. You don't feel like you can pay tithe anymore. You don't feel like you can support the work of God, much less give to a missionary or help a brother in the church that hasn't got the money to fix his car. Thank you. I think I will. So God didn't give us all this stuff. And when Adam was in the garden, he didn't have any stress. He didn't have to worry about anything. God worried about everything. What a life. Why can't we do that today? What a life. God, I don't want to stress. I'm going to let you do the stress. I'll just do your will. And if I do your will, you'll take care of everything else. I won't have to be worried about how I'm going to pay my bills because I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to me. God will put it all in a bucket, pressed down, shaken together, heaped up and running over. Will God cause men to give into your bosom? And when God says he'll cause men to give into your bosom, that doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily a handout or a donation, but God will give you jobs that pay more. God will give you jobs that create more. God God will give you jobs with more benefits. And we lose the stress. And so with everything perfect, the devil comes in. The serpent. He's not a guy with a red head, two little horns, and a long pronged tail. He doesn't have a red body. So wipe that thought out of your mind. He actually was the most beautiful creature God ever created. And he has many identities. And he comes in and goes to the woman. Why? She's the weaker vessel. But why did he go to the woman? Because he knew that God fellowshiped with Adam. He didn't talk to the woman. And so the devil goes to the woman and he says, did God really tell you that? That if you eat this, that it was bad for you? And she said, yes, he, she was quick to quote it. She knew it. Who'd she know it from? God never spoke to Eve. Some of you fellas ain't gonna like me after today. God never spoke to Eve. God didn't walk with Eve in the morning time. God walked with Adam. God spoke to Adam. 
God told Adam, you name all the animals. And Adam's the one that named Eve, but he didn't name her until after the experience in the garden. It's striking to me that he gave her that name after what happened in the garden. Because her name actually meant caregiver. She was a coverer. She was a blanket. She was a, a form of covering for Adam. And she got that name afterwards. And so Adam, he, he's in the garden. And he's supposed to, he's supposed to be taking care of things. He's, he's, the, he's in charge of this garden. And this woman, she starts carrying on a conversation with the devil. She's carrying on a conversation with the devil. I mean, just, hey, no, he, he, he told us, yeah. Well, how'd she know what he told her? Because her husband told her. Her husband taught her. The Bible says that husband's supposed to be teaching their wives. Husband's supposed to be teaching their children. Where have all the fathers gone? Whew. Son, I'm into some meatloaf now. I'm going to tell you right now. I know God spoke to me this morning. I know he did. And so that woman, she's carrying on, and she's innocent as she can be. She's, she's repeating everything that Adam told her, telling the devil. And Adam is standing there with her. He's with her, right there with her, listening to every word. You scoundrel, you. And she says, he told us we couldn't do that. And the devil said, ah, you can. He just didn't want you to have it because it would make you as smart as he is and so on and so forth. And here, try it out. Just take a bite. And she takes the fruit and bites it. Adam did not try to stop her. Where have all the fathers gone? He made no effort to say, honey, don't do that. Don't do that, honey. You're about to tear something up you don't know about. Not only did he not stop her, but when she tasted and said, oh, this is really very good. I mean, it's very tasted, Adam. Sure, give me a bite. But yet, when God comes around and says, hey, what, what's going on there? Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm over here, I'm hiding. He said, why? He said, because I'm naked, naked. He said, who told you you were naked? How'd you find it out? Because now he's got this knowledge of good and evil. And, and Adam now, he's, he's in trouble. He knows he is. And he says, we, we, and he got these leaves. He said, we sold them around us. God said, get out here. I'm gonna make you something else. God immediately begins to try and reconcile Adam back to where he's supposed to be. Immediately, restoration is always the first consideration. Ladies and gentlemen, never is judgment. Uh, judgment should never be our first thought. It's always reconciliation. It's always restoration. And he starts trying to immediately reconcile Adam for his mistake. He makes them, he makes them clothes out of skins because they can, they can, he knows he's putting them out in the elements. They don't know it yet. And he's going to put them out there, but he puts these skins around them to protect them. And the first thing that Adam does when it comes to him, first God talks to the woman and, you know, what have you done and so on and so forth and the devil. When he gets to Adam, and I know I'm a man, so, you know, this is me as well as you. When he gets to the man, the first father, our example, the first father, he says, what happened here today? In all the conversation, you read the Bible, nowhere does Adam ever bring up the devil. Never talks about him. 
The only two individuals that Adam ever makes reference to and blames them both for what happened in the garden. He said, the woman that you gave me. If you hadn't put me to sleep and took that wench out of my ribs, I wouldn't be here, God, standing before you. He never one time blamed anybody but God and his, who was, became his wife or was his wife. He blamed them. Never one time did he take responsibility for his own action. That was our first father, the first father of all mankind. We learned three things from the first father because there, there are really no accomplishments for Adam. You ever notice that? There's no accomplishments for Adam after that. That's amazing. His only accomplishments that we can remember him for is that he blamed his wife and he blamed God and he never took no responsibility for himself. Where have all the fathers gone? Let me tell you that history repeats itself. What happened yesterday is going to happen again. What has been will be again. And you know where we are in 2014? Do you know what the majority, the bulk of mankind as we know it does? They never take responsibility for their own actions. They blame somebody else and they believe that God is the root of the problem. This is why I only get to come once a year. It's always somebody else's fault. God, why did you let my brother die? God, why'd you do this? God, why'd you do that? Why is it always God, why did you do this? Let me go to the next dad. The next dad, Abraham. Different story here. And I gotta hurry because I don't wanna keep you late. It's Father's Day. But I, I'm telling you, I want you folks to, to listen. Today is a special day. When you leave this building today, you're gonna be changed. I, I know that God has spoken to my heart, Brother Kylie. I know that. I don't wanna sound like somebody special. And it, 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 it didn't come three weeks ago or a month ago. It just recently came. But when it came, it was like a whirlwind. I knew that God was talking to me. And he's gonna talk to you. He's already begun talking to you. But he's about to talk to you some more. Abraham was a different story. Abraham's the guy that has one son. He's, he's got Ishmael, but Ishmael don't really count because he came from that bond woman. He really, that really didn't count. That was promiscuity. That never should have happened. But the real son, the promised son, I, he gets him. He don't even get him, man, until he's past 90 years old. Can you imagine Zelensky having a baby? His wife just moved her hand away from him. No, we're too old. We don't want a baby. I got grandsons and great-grandsons. God knows I don't want to go through that again. They'll have to renovate this hotel when we get out of it. And so Abraham gets one son. Abraham gets one son, Isaac. And when... When, man, everything's going so well, the promises, everything's going great, and God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, 
want you to take your son, your only son. That's what God says to him. Your only son. And I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him. Drive a knife in his heart and set him on fire as a burnt offering. And give him to me. Abraham never batted an eye. They rode the donkeys up to the foot of the mountain. His servants and everybody went with him. He gets down off the donkey, tells Isaac to come on with him. Isaac follows along right behind daddy. Right behind daddy. Why is he following his daddy? Because he trusts him. Because he trusts him. And they start up the mountain. And when they get up there close to the top of the mountain, Isaac starts to ask a couple of questions. Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Where is it? And Abraham just calmly answers inside something in Abraham. It's on the hinge of dying or exploding because he loves this boy more than anything in the world. And he says, don't worry, son, God will provide a sacrifice. Let me tell you something in scripture that you probably don't know because it's, it's not something that they just talk about all the time. But number one, there were two things that happened at the beginning of that meeting. When Abraham got off the donkey and started up the hill, he turns to his servants and he said, me and the boy are gonna go yonder and worship and we are coming back to you. Abraham is recognized as the father of faith. Why? Because he lived by faith. He walked by faith. And even though God said, you're going up there to sacrifice your son, I'm gonna tell you something. Something inside of Abraham said, God, you didn't give me this boy for naught. You didn't promise me to be the wreck. I'm gonna be recognized for the sand of the sea and all. You didn't do that. And I know that to be a fact. Because there's something else that Abraham did. When he said, me and the boys going yonder to worship, we'll be back. Come on, Isaac. And he starts up the mountainside. They always carried their own fire. They had to carry a little bucket of fire. That's how they started their fires. But on this trip, Abraham left the fire behind. Why did he do that? Because in his heart, he knew, God, I can't see it with the naked eye. I can't hear it with the naked ear. But there's something inside of me telling me that if I hold on to you and trust you and believe you I won't need that fire you'll take care of everything you're not going to take from me this thing here so is the message about Abraham because he was a father of faith no is the message about Abraham because he was willing to sacrifice his son no really the message is on the son do you know how old Isaac was Anybody know how old Isaac was? 27 years old. We're not talking about a little boy. We're talking about a grown man. He was 27 years old. In Jewish culture, he was far past the age of of, of free will and answering. He He had to commit to do that. He had to consent. His daddy could not make him do that. Even if it was a religious ritual they were about to perform, he had to be willing to do it. And he followed his daddy up the mountain. And don't you tell me for a minute that deep down in the heart of Isaac, he started putting the puzzle together. He started putting the dots and connecting them and saying something, daddy's doing something here. He's never done this before. My daddy's not acting like he normally acts. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that Isaac knew my daddy has taught me everything I know. He's been there every time I needed him. He gave me instruction. Everything I know about almighty God, he taught it to me. But more than that, he taught 
taught me faith. And right now my faith tells me I'll follow my daddy of my own free will, even if it costs me my life because I believe in my daddy. More than anything else, I want my children to believe in me. The writer said, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's grandchildren. He leaves an inheritance. We always think of an inheritance. Oh boy, you know, Granny Lou died and man, she owned all that property. And you know, oh, we're sad, Granny's gone. <laughs> Hurry, let's get to the reading of the will. Because of the inheritance. Could it be that maybe that's not the inheritance that the Bible was making reference to? Because another writer said that the earnest of your inheritance is the baptism of the Holy Ghost of God. That is the earnest money of your inheritance. Our inheritance is not fish, not flesh and blood. Our inheritance is not brick and mortar. Our inheritance is not UPI. Our inheritance is not the car or the money in the bank. Our inheritance is a spiritual inheritance that money can't buy, that flesh and blood can't build. And if our fathers could lead us an inheritance that would be like that, we would see our world in better condition. as they prepare to kill him. Isaac's already laid down on, on the altar. He's ready to go. According to scripture, it's quite obvious they've already stacked the wood around him. And he's still laying there. You know why? Because everything his daddy taught him was now coming to the forefront. And you know how his daddy taught him? Brother Manis, he didn't teach him out of textbooks. He didn't send him off to the community college. He didn't send him off to the Urshan Graduate School. He taught him by example. He showed him what an altar was. He taught him what prayer was. He taught him how to dig a well. He taught him how to build a house. He taught him how to be a good son that loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. That was what his daddy taught him. Today we teach our children a lot more. Yeah, we've got a fund set apart to put our children through college. What kind of fund have you got set apart to put them through church? What kind of, what kind of an account did you open up to get your children through church? Funny how they make every class. Can't be late for class, can't miss a class because I can't afford to fail. But we don't think about failing when we come to church. Thank you. Jacob. We're not thinking about that. When it comes time to go to the house of God, we get our children up in the morning. You get ready. You're going to miss your bus. I don't want to go this morning. I'll take my belt to you. You get, I'll beat you half today. I'll call your father. You get up, you're going to school. But on Sunday morning, I don't want to go to church. Well, just stay here today. You don't have an account set up for your children. 
You're more worried about their college education than you are about their safe and the salvation of their soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? How much do your children mean to you? Come on, how much do your children mean to you? You daddies, where you been? Where have all the fathers gone? Where are the daddies that say, no, son, this is not an option. We don't have family discussion over the house of God. We do that and we don't even think about it. I don't care if you miss school. I don't care if you get an education, but I'll tell you one thing. You're gonna get into the church and dedicate your life to God. You're gonna understand righteousness and peace and joy. I'm gonna make sure of that. That should come before anything. That should be your focus before anything else. It's just a building. You're mighty right, it's just a building. But when you're supposed to be here, it's not just a building. The moment you walk in the building, it changes. I'll just tell you, I'll be very blunt because you'll understand it. If Pastor Kylie meets with the board of this church and decides to sell this building, and a group from Hooters wants to buy it. And they say, you know how much you owe? Well, we owe whatever we owe. We'll give you 25 million for it. Count this building sold. And the next time you drive by, they got a flashing light with dancing girls. And people say, oh my God. Look what they've done to the church. Church, that's just a brick and mortar building. No, that, no that's not the church. The church, this don't become a church till you get here. Once you get here, we got a church because the church is not flesh and blood. The church is not brick and mortar. The church is people. It's people that God loves and draws. This is just a meeting place where we come. We've gotten things so out of kilter. We've, we've lost our direction. I don't mean you as individuals. I'm talking about the whole, the whole shooting match. Our whole country's turned upside down. We don't know what's a lie and what's the truth. And there's an attack on the church right now. Do you understand that all of this junk we're seeing and hearing about, and you can't help but hear or see about it. So those of you that ain't hearing or heard about it or seen it, you've been locked in your closet. I'm tired of hearing about Benghazi. I am. I'm tired of hearing about all the shootings. I'm tired of hearing about the IRS. I'm tired of hearing about who lied to Congress. Everything is a lie, everything. And if you didn't notice it yesterday at the embassy in Israel, the American flag was flying and right beneath it was the gay pride flag. In Israel, at Tel Aviv, go look it up for yourself to honor the LBGT or LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgenders, to honor them, fly the gay pride rainbow flag beneath the American flag at the United States Embassy. That means that represents America. Yesterday, I'm tired of that. Tired of hearing about it. But do you know what the real story is? Do you know who the real target is? Yeah, it's the Republicans. No, it's not. It's the Tea Party. No, it's not. It's the conservatives. No, it's not. The real target is the church of Jesus Christ. That's the real target. 
You think they, you think they want to change the Constitution so they can have a free reign to do what they want to? No. They want to change the Constitution so they can take that First Amendment and say we're going to strike the church out of that. This is the last bastion of free speech right there. This is it right here. This is the last place you can say these things. Right now the church is the most powerful thing in all the earth and we're silent as Texas oysters. I refuse to be silent. I'm going to stand up. I want the world to know that I'm proud of who I am. I'm a Christian first and anything else afterward. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm proud to be a part of the body of Christ. They want to silence you because that thing which wants to come, that spirit that wants to seize everything cannot make its deadly move until first every Christian has a muzzle on. Ladies and gentlemen, that day will never come because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The church will never be silent and the church will never die. You can't shut us up. You heard a lot about the pastor over in Iran they've been holding for so long. Been a lot of fanfare over that. Can I tell you that's one of ours? They can't talk about it. Headquarters in St. Louis can't make it public. It'll cost him his life. They want to silence us more than anything else in the world. You know why they hate us? They hate God. That's why Jesus used the term. He said, they will hate you. They hated me and they're gonna hate you. We're running around on our bubbles. Papa's riding their Harleys. We got our boats in the water. We're vacationing and having a great time and we're in a war. We're in the greatest war we've ever been in. We're not fighting for our freedom so we can go to Wendy's or Walmart. We're fighting for the freedom to come to the house of God and lift up the name that's above every name. We're coming here so that our children can be saved. That's what this war is about. And you're in the middle of it, whether you want to be or not. We're gonna see our own people lose their lives right here in America. But you can't silence the church. They'll always be there. Jesus said, heaven and earth can't prevail against this. Can't prevail. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not against it. What rock was he talking about? Upon the confession and the acknowledgement of who he is. He said, Peter, whom do men say that I the son of man am? So they said, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? He said, I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Other churches are going to fail. Other churches are going to fall. You're gonna see closures of church. Yes, I'm gonna tell you this, you will see this. You'll see closures of church, we're already seeing it. Churches are gonna close because they don't have the money to proceed. They were just holding out a little bit because they, they were saying we're the church, but they're tightening the vice. Uh, you know, down in Texas we say, the time will come they'll bring those shallow water minnows up to the top. That's what happens. They're going, to, they're going to come up to the top. They can't take the heat. But we as a church, the church of Jesus Christ is going to stand. Let me pop your bubble. You're not going to save the world. 
silent as Texas oysters. You don't even know what to say to that, do you? You're not going to save the world. Fact of the matter is, you're not going to save 50% of the world. If we go by statistics in the Bible, chances are only a small portion. In fact, the Bible actually says that in the book of Revelation. It says when the smoke clears and the damage is assessed that only a remnant, you ladies that sow, come on, you know what a remnant is, don't you? A remnant is just a small piece of the whole. The whole thing has already been used, but there's a small piece of that garment that's left. That's called the remnant. The only thing that's gonna be left when this is over is a remnant. You make sure you're part of that remnant. You keep in touch with that remnant. You stay close to that remnant. How will I recognize them? they'll still be preaching they'll still be singing they'll still be paying tithes they'll still be giving offerings they'll still come to church they'll come to prayer meetings that's how you find the remnant they're too busy to gossip they're too wrapped up in the kingdom of God to pass judgment on everybody else don't you think it's about time you got off the judgment seat, moved over to the witness stand so you can get something done? It's not about you. This is not about you. It's about us. It's about our children. It's about them babies back yonder. We're their future. Where have all the fathers gone? Oh God, the time to talk about Moses. Time to talk about Eli. And I don't have time to talk about him. But Moses is the one in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy that God tells him one day, look, here's what you do. He said, you teach this to your children. You write it on the foreheads. You put it on the gatepost out in front of your house. You make sure you get this in their heart. I don't care. You write it on their hands if you have to. Write it on their hands about what I'm telling you, about fearing God, living for God, and doing the things that God wants you to do because the day will come that your son is going to come to you and say, Daddy, what in the world does all of this mean? I ask you, sir, what is your answer for that question? What does this mean, Daddy? What does it say we're supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? You better have an answer. What I do, Dad? God knew what an example Isaac was. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them were keepers of the temple. They were doing a good job stealing money having a relationship with ladies in the church, in the temple, lying, everything imaginable. And one day, the Philistines come. War with the Philistines, and they did the same thing they always did. Grabbed the Ark of the Covenant. Picked up their Bible. That's what we do. Some of you never read your Bible till you get in trouble. Somebody gets deathly sick in your family and Boy, you'll walk around with your Bible clutched to you. I'm not making fun. I'm being realistic. Not everybody's like that. Oh, because now this Bible's got value. Why? This is the word of God. This is the covenant. That's what it is. There's an old and a new covenant. I'm not going to keep you really. There's an old and a new covenant. 
David said, Lord, your word, I have hid it in my heart. What does that make me if I hide the word of God in my heart? I am now the ark of the covenant because I am, woo, I'm the vehicle that conveys it. I'm the one that carries it around. It's, it's hidden in my heart. So every time I pick up this word of God, I am holding in my hand the power of God's word. How powerful is it? Acts 4, 12 said, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But I'll take you a step further. If the name is that powerful, the psalmist said, I have, he has magnified his word even above his name. His word is more powerful than his name. That's why we got to hide it in our heart so we might not sin against him. So those old Jews, they gathered up the Ark of the Covenant. Boy, they charged those Philistines. Always worked before. That Ark always gave them the power, but this time something went wrong. And the Philistines killed everybody and took the Ark of the Covenant. Took it away from them. What a story that is. But let's skip that part. They go back home and they come, the messenger comes and Eli's sitting out at the edge of town waiting for word. He's sitting there waiting for a word. Good man. This is the man that trained Samuel. He's a good man. He never, we find no sin accredited to Eli other than his two sons. You hearing me, fathers? Your father's listening to me. That's the only credit he got is what happened to his sons in the sin category. And so the runner runs up there and he says, the Philistines, he said, they, they hit us from every side. We didn't know what hit us. He said, both your sons were killed in the battle. Eli never moved a muscle. Never moved a muscle because why? He's a man of God. He knew. He knew about that judgment. He knew it was coming. He just didn't know when. But then he said, what else? Talk to me, son. Talk to me. He said, we didn't want to tell you this. But the Ark of the Covenant's gone. The Philistines took it. They took the word of God. It's gone. This thing that we take for granted. We take it for granted. Leave it lay on the dash of the car. Throw it in the floor at the house. Set a cup of coffee on it. It's just a Bible, is it? Is it just a Bible? He magnified his word. Even above his name, it's just a book. He said, Eli, they took the Ark of the Covenant. And he fell out of his chair, broke his neck, and died. And when that word of God was gone, you see why they want to tear up that First Amendment? Get rid of that word of God. Get rid of those Bible thumpers. Get rid of those Christians. Yeah, they dress funny. They go to church at odd hours. When they get there, they make a big scene. They shout, they dance, they jump, they holler. Oh yeah, and some of you are embarrassed to bring a visitor because you say, I'm afraid so-and-so might get up and start dancing or something. You better come with a visitor saying, God, I hope everybody's dancing today. I hope everybody's speaking in tongues today. I hope everybody's running the aisles today. Because that may be the only God they'll ever see. And just at the same time that all of this happens, Eli's daughter-in-law is down the road and she's in labor. She's about to deliver Eli's grandchild. His grandchild. My grandsons. And the mama is in terrible agony and delivers this baby and dies. But before she dies, she names this baby because of the news that they have just heard that the ark of the covenant is gone. 
the worst news that they could have ever gotten. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. Can I put it in American terms? If it happens and when it happens, the Constitution is gone. Why is that so important? Because when the Constitution goes, the Ark of the Covenant goes with it. You don't have to, if you don't respond to a word I say today, you're going to, you, you've heard from God. God's speaking to us today. It's prophetic. And mama, oh, the heart of a mama. Before she dies and takes her last breath, she says, I want to name my child. Tell her, tell her, what's, her, what's the name? Ichabod. And she dies. And Ichabod being interpreted or translated means the glory of the Lord has departed. You getting this? You see where we are as a nation? You see what's happened to us? But there's some great men that left us a message. And those men are speaking to us today. What about the man? The most horrible thing that could happen in Israel culture, is Israeli culture is that a woman become pregnant without being married. And yet one man whose wife was pregnant when he, when he, before they ever got married, she gets pregnant. That's, you can't do that. He had a right to stone her. And it wasn't even his child. And she's pregnant. But Joseph had an encounter. The spirit of the Lord. Joseph knew this baby it's not my flesh and blood. But this baby is what God is going to use to reach the world and all the world to come. This baby, God's going to use this baby. It's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so the first child that this couple was to have, his father, he was recognized throughout scripture as the carpenter's son. Why would they call him the carpenter's son before? That was because he hadn't started his ministry. But everybody knew what he was. They knew he was learned in scripture. They knew that he had a great spirit about him. He was a good boy. Why? Because his father on earth taught him everything he knew. He taught him how to go to the temple. He taught him how to sacrifice. He taught him how to be a good boy. He taught him a profession. What can be said about Joseph? Rarely is anything said about him. Yet he was so instrumental. You think God just chose Mary? God chose Joseph too. Because he needed a man that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He needed a man that could take a blow like that for his wife to say, I'm not. Listen, Joseph was operating on a promise. That's all he had. I thank God for people that will take the promises of God and walk with him even though they can't see him. I am standing on the promises of God. I'm going to close. Don't clap. Well, those aren't my glasses. Son, I don't know whose those are, but you need to go to the vision center. That's why you was looking off over there while I was right in front of you.
last person I'm going to tell you about is Noah. Noah was the only man in all the word of God that was referred to as a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. He preached 120 years. 120 years. Never had a convert. Not one. Never had a convert. Preached 120 years. The only thing he did during that time, he built a boat. I mean, it was quite a boat. It was longer than three football fields. So, I mean, that's a pretty big boat. And he had no power saws, no crews. Just him and his boys, you know, they came out and said, hey, Dad, what do we do? Come on, bring that board over here. And then it comes time toward the end to fill this boat up. There's no people to fill it up with because nobody's listening to Noah. Nobody's paying any attention to him, but he keeps preaching for 120 years. Eight souls were saved out of all of that. They were all Noah's family. Not one outsider made it into that boat, but it was filled with every kind of animal known to mankind at that time. It's amazing. I mean, I can't imagine any of you go see that atrocious movie they've got out about Noah. Don't you go see that. God don't want you in that place. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's made by a bunch of ungodly, unsanctified, and unholy men that support homosexuality and every other abominable thing and then change the story of the Bible to make it fit their movie. Don't go see that garbage. It's garbage. Write that down. That I said it's garbage. I'd sooner go to a, a triple X film than to go watch that Noah thing. I ain't going to that either, so don't start no stories. Noah did all this for 120 years. Comes time to get. You ever notice that when it came time to load up, he just told his kids, and y'all get into the boat. Get into the boat. And they all marched off into the boat. These people were big. They weren't little bitty children. They went into that boat. Never asked no questions. Why? They trusted their daddy. He gave them something to trust. He had laid a foundation. They were just like, just like Isaac was. They were, they were satisfied. Dad, Dad wouldn't take me astray. So where, where are all my fathers here? What have you taught your, your children? When you're gone, what will they say about you? Dr. R.G. Lee tells a story. This is, you know, last century. And Lee says that his, he told a story of a man that evidently he had pastored who was in his, in his church. Diphtheria used to be a terrible thing. We don't see that no more. I mean, I don't even know when the last case of diphtheria was recorded in this country, but we've done a lot of good things in America. And diphtheria, if you got diphtheria, it was a death sentence. Rarely did anybody survive diphtheria. And this man had a little boy. He was truly a little boy. He was like seven or eight years old. And they took him to what they had then, clinic, hospital. And you couldn't even go in the room around him. They had to bundle you up, cover you up with everything imaginable. The little boy's in there and he's, he's going to die. His dad walks in. He's all in this garb. You can't see nothing but his eyes. He sits down by the bed and his eyes are swollen and red because he's been weeping. He says, son, 
He sits down beside the bed. And he says, I love you, son. Little boy looks up at him. He says, Daddy, why are you dressed like that? See, he don't know. And his daddy says, son, I'm doing this to protect other people. He said, oh. He said, daddy, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And the tears, you know, start running down his dad's cheek. And he had taught his son never lie for no reason. He says, son, that's what the doctors say. And the little boy just sat there for a moment. Kind of a sad, sensual moment. And he says, son, are you afraid? And the little boy looks up and he smiles at his dad. He says, daddy, if Jesus is anything like you, I'm not afraid. What are our children saying about us? Where are the fathers? America, where are the George Washingtons? The Patrick Henrys? Where are the John Paul Jones, the John Adams, the Jeffersons? Where are they? What happened to men that weren't just building their own kingdoms, but they were trying to build a future for the next generation? What happened to men who said, not only will I give everything I own for the cause of righteousness, but I will give my life if it calls for it. How much? I've got a couple of difficult questions as we stand. Will you stand with me? How much are your family? How much is your family worth to you? How much? But more than that, how much is God worth to you? You ladies, you have a lot to answer for just like us men do. But I want to exclude you for a moment because according to the Bible that you've got a Bible right there in your hand, if you read that Bible and many of you ladies that are sitting here, according to that Bible, he is supposed to lead you and your family. That's his responsibility. Why? Because that's what God said. I personally, I am tired of hearing people ask questions about what God said as to whether we should do it or not. It's not up for discussion. When God created us, each one of us, God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. He decided your gender. He even knew what your name would be. He knew that. And the same thing with you. So when we're born, we're not afforded the option to say, I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a woman. You don't have a choice. And not only do you have to accept who you are, you have to live accordingly. So that means that every one of you ladies, 
I want you to take consolation in the fact that Eve was really not as responsible as Adam was. But at the same time, you have an obligation to follow God, but also to follow your husband. This is not one of the macho services. This is what the scripture says. And he has an obligation to lead you. And he has an obligation to love you. Just like Jesus Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. If you don't love your wife like that, your love is superficial. You are supposed to leave all others and cleave to her. And when your children are born, most of their teaching, most of their teaching will come from her because she's the sensitive one. But a lot of the things that he has to have to get through life and to be the leader of his home comes from you. That's what fathers do. And this is our day. This is Father's Day. And we're here to honor the fathers, but the first father we want to honor is God. I think the second group of fathers we should honor is our forefathers. And then work our way on around to us, a generation of men that have, for the most part, failed. But today, it's never too late, man. As long as you can hear this voice, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? As long as you're getting to hear this voice, if you're within the sound of my voice, I got good news, there's hope. We got hope because we're here and you're in the sound of the voice of the ministry. You're in the presence of God. And this altar call is for fathers. I think it's time. I liked what Brother Kylie said. He said, come up and put your toe to this altar. That was good. That, I liked that. I really liked that. That was, that was needful. I hope there's too many to put your toes on the altar. But I can tell you one thing, I will be deeply disappointed if there's one father that doesn't make their way to this altar. And you can start anytime you get ready. The father of this church just found his way. Don't come just because you've been told to. You better come for the right reason. Come on, this includes all the men Men are father figures, so you're included. I don't care if you got any children or not. We're the ones that are supposed to be the leadership of God's people. That's what God created men to do. And only men can be fathers. You young men are going to be fathers one of these days if you keep your head on. And don't lose your mind. Start following the culture of America. You ladies, move up closer to that altar, men, close as you can get. All of you Eves, you caregivers, you ladies that make your husbands look good, all of you women that are the covering for your husband, women like the ones in the 31st chapter of Proverbs 
that would get up early in the morning and go to the marketplace and secure all the goods and the necessities that her family would need and would make her husband shine in the council and in the system of government in the city they resided. It was those women that made them shine. How many of you ladies would let God fill your eyes with tears like mamas do and wives do? How many of you would walk down here and stand behind these men and say, God, this ain't about me. It's about us. How many of you would walk down here and stand all the way across this church behind these men? Lift up your hands and say, God, touch our men, touch our church, touch our pastor, touch our leaders, God. Give us clear direction. Don't let us make a wrong turn, God. We're too close to the end to lose what we've got. We've got to make it stronger, God. We don't need to be confused. We don't need to try to find a way out. We've got to find a way in. In the name of Jesus, God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm asking you to fill this house, God. There's absolutely no way, God, possible. We can leave here tonight without, or today, God, without making a commitment to you. We got to change what we're doing, God. We gotta... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.